Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 194. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and this week, got to talk a little bit about this first, the FTX debacle, cryptocurrencies, is this a cryptocurrency crash? For anyone who's not familiar with what's going on, FTX, and, and I got to be honest with you, you know, those long-term listeners to this podcast know I have not been a necessarily a, a champion or a fan of cryptocurrency. I think as a currency, it's been an abject failure. And I have no problem saying that because I don't think anybody can use this as a currency. You're not going to buy and sell it. I mean, nobody's buying and selling things with these. It's too volatile. Uh, the example I always give is imagine when Bitcoin was 20000 against $1. And yeah, no, $20,000 equals one Bitcoin. Okay. And let's say that you, you decided to buy a $20,000 car. All right. Well, you buy the car. You own the car. The person who gets the coin, if they hold the Bitcoin in 20000 you know, to, to one Bitcoin and it goes down to 15,000 to one Bitcoin. Well, they just sold their car for 15,000. So even if you transact in these, I think most likely somebody is going to take this and immediately go to US dollars. Same thing from the other side of this. If you buy a car, let's say, and you give somebody one Bitcoin and the, the exchange is, you know, 20,000 US dollars equals one Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin goes up to 30,000. We just paid $30,000 for the car. It's too volatile as a currency. And for that reason, even people who are doing transactions, uh, I mean, they've got to sort of go back into to US dollars anyway. What happened this week was FTX, which if you have turned on any, any TV in any household or watched any sporting event, especially in the last year, You've probably seen commercials for FTX, and that is Sam Bankman-Fried's company. It, uh, from I'm just uh, quoting some news reports. Looks like they have declared bankruptcy. And one of the the things I guess in there, and I'm reading this from this is from CoinDesk, which I will put a link to. And they're saying that basically people who had money at FTX that they took some customer assets and maybe they weren't. Again, I'm reading this directly from, uh, from Coindesk where they commingled assets. Uh, let's see. Let me just kind of look at this here and I'll, I'll make sure uh, I get this right. So according to people close to the matter, the Wall Street Journal, I'm quoting from the Coindesk article, uh, the Wall Street Journal reported Thursday that FTX had placed billions of dollars worth of customer funds on risky bets with some suspecting customer funds were used to help bolster Alameda. I guess Alameda was a, uh, a, a trading arm or something else that this company was involved in. So at any rate, uh, looks like that, uh, uh, and, and there's some other people, it says unlike Voyager, Celsius, those were other things that wound up in trouble where their terms of service allowed them to on, to on-lend or rehypothecate your assets for yield, FTX, uh, specifically states that uh, assets remain with the customer. Anyway, I, this is not an area that I have a lot of expertise in. I just bring this up because it's once again an example of sometimes when things look too good to be true, they are. 
I can't tell you how many times over the last couple of years people came up to me or talked to me and said, you know, you can get 10% by doing this coin or that coin and, and the reasons why. And my answer was always, if you're getting 10% or 15% somewhere and the U.S. Treasury is giving you 1% or now, of course, it's giving, you know, over 4%, there is risk. It's not risk-free. And I think this is sort of an, another example of where, uh, like any anything where there's been bubbles, there's always been sort of a, a fear of missing out. Uh, people may not understand this. I, I certainly don't understand it. I, I still am not completely sure that we need digital, all these digital coins. Uh, you know, look, I'll leave this up, up to other people. And I hope nobody out there had any money at FTX. It sounds like they are not allowing withdrawals again. But the reason I, uh, I did have currencies on the mind, because last couple of days, we saw markets move higher. There was a favorable, I'm in air quotes there, favorable inflation print. And of course, inflation still went up month over month, I think what, 0.4%. And, but, you know, the year over year dropped 7.7%. And basically that is the, the basket of stuff that is the, uh, the CPI, the consumer price index. And you compare it to October, the price of that basket to October of a year ago. Uh, now it's only up 7.7% as opposed to being up over 8%. And the markets went up on that. But I think you should be paying attention to, uh, the U.S. dollar, a currency. I'm, I'm going to say it again. I don't think these coins are currencies. But the U.S. dollar is really important. And I've seen a lot of anti-correlation, I'll, I'll call it, uh, where on when the U.S. dollar has been surging higher, which it has been for a while, the market seemed to go lower and vice versa. You saw the dollar have, I think somebody was saying, the biggest decline since, I don't know, it's been a while in percentage terms. And if you don't follow the U.S. dollar, uh, the dollar index is what a lot of people quote. And some people call it the Dixie, the DXY. Uh, some, on some terminals, it's slash DX. Uh, but you can, if you, know, you don't have access to, to, those, uh, to that symbol or, or the dollar index, you can also look at an ETF, UUP, that's... Uh, uh, Uncle, Uncle Paul, uh, phonetically spelled out. And you can kind of get a chart of what the dollar index looks like. Of course, the dollar index is very Eurocentric, meaning it's a basket of currencies against the U.S. dollar. And it's, I don't I have to look it up, but it's, it's 70 or 75, 80% European currencies. So it's Euro, uh, it's the pound. There is some Japanese yen in there, but it's a lot of European uh, currencies. So the reason why this is important is because there's a lot of U.S. companies who have, um, I'll call it exposure, or not exposure is not the right way, of, I guess, really to say it, but they get a lot of their revenues from overseas. And if you are a U.S. company, you are reporting your earnings in your revenues, your earnings per share all of your numbers in U.S. dollars. And so what does that mean? Well, let's, let's go back to a really easy example. And let's just say you sell a widget 
that's $100. And you sell it in Europe somewhere. It doesn't matter where. So you're talking euros. You sell that widget for $100. And when that's converted, let's say it's one to one. I mean, the euro against the US dollar. And you sell it for 100 You book $100 of revenue back in US dollars. What happens, though, is when your currency gets stronger and the way these are quoted. So you'll see these in pairs, euro slash USD. Uh, Let's say it's one to one. What that means is the one on the right, US dollars, you need one US dollar to get one euro. Well, let's say it goes to euro slash USD 1.20. What that means is you need a a dollar 20 to get one euro. That would be an example of the currency getting weaker, going from 1 to 1 to 1.2. When the currency gets stronger, meaning you need less U.S. dollars to to get that same euro, let's say it's uh, euro slash USD is 0.80. What that means is uh, you only need 80 cents to get one euro. And that's an example of the dollar being stronger certainly the one-to-one, but that dollar getting stronger. The reason why this matters is this, and there's two ways to look at this. You can say, well, I manufacture something in the U.S., I sell it in Europe, and therefore my costs are fixed in U.S. dollars. So in this example, let's say uh, when the dollar is uh, the U.S. dollar, uh, euro U.S. dollar is 1.20, meaning you need $1.20 to get one euro, you sell something in Europe for 100 euros. When you book that as revenues in the US, that converts to $120 US. Why? Because the, the euro is stronger than the US dollar. It's 1.2 is the exchange rate. So you need $120. 100 euros equals $120 US. So let's say it costs... I don't know, $70 to make that widget. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, 120, you sold it for 100 euro, converted it to $120 US, $70 is your cost to make it. You get a $50 net profit margin. Imagine if that's the only thing that you sold and you had one share. So you have $50 per share as your earnings per share. Okay, so let's, let's look at the same thing and say, Okay, well, maybe we make this thing over in Europe. And so now we sell it for 100 euro, but it cost us 70 euros to make it, not $70 because we didn't make it in the US. What happens there? Well, same thing. We convert this back to US dollars. 120 US dollars is our revenue. Our cost is $84. Why? Because 70 euros is. It's equal to $84 at a 1.2 exchange rate. And our net profit margin is $36. So this starts to get a little bit complicated where you think about, okay, where do you manufacture stuff? And by the way, I'm assuming you either manufacture it in the US or you manufacture it in Europe. You could bring a third sort of derivative into this and say, well, what if we manufacture this in Australia or China or somewhere else? then you have those costs and those, uh, those exchange rates as well. But we'll keep it simple for now. So what happens when the, the dollar gets much stronger? Let's use that same example. We're selling something 
for 100 euro, but now the exchange rate is 0.80, meaning you only need 80 cents to get that same one euro. Before, you needed a $1.20 US to get one euro. Same thing, cost us 70 bucks to make our, our widget. Sell it for 100 euro. Now, your revenue comes back to the US due to the stronger dollar. Instead of 120, your revenue is $80. $70 to make it, $10 as your net profit margin, and you only get $10 uh, per share EPS. Remember, because we're selling one thing. It's a crazy company. We sell one thing. We have one share of stock that's outstanding. You know, imagine that, right? So you can see how a stronger dollar reduces the, uh, you know, that, that revenue that comes back. And this is one of the reasons why a company like Microsoft said in their latest earnings report that their revenue declined 5% just on the, the currency exchange rates. And so this is kind of, this can be a big deal for multinational companies. All right. Now you say, well, what if we manufacture in, in Europe? Doesn't that help us? Well, yeah, of course, because the dollar is stronger. And so your cost to manufacture are lower. So sell it for a hundred cost 70 euros to make, converted back at, at uh, 80 cents is the conversion rate. Now, $80 US revenue, $56 US equivalent cost to manufacture, $24 is your net profit margin or EPS, earnings per share. You can see, though, we went from $36 to $24 if we manufacture in Europe and we do the conversions. Or we went from $50 to $10 net profit margin, EPS. So the point of going through this is simply to say that if you are a U.S. investor and you're, you're buying companies in the U.S., like the S&P 500, like the Dow Jones, like the NASDAQ, like the Russell 2000, and you've got a lot of companies in there, think about the biggest companies. You've got Apple, Microsoft, you have Google. Uh, you've got you know, United Healthcare is up there. So one of the things that's really interesting is if you have companies that have overseas sales and, and depending upon the percentage of their sales that are overseas, a strong dollar actually hurts U.S. companies. It hurts U.S. companies because all those sales that get booked in overseas are brought back and converted back to U.S. dollars. Remember, U.S. companies report their earnings, their revenues as U.S. dollars, not in foreign currency. And so a strong dollar means all else equal, meaning you have, you're booking the same revenue as you did before. But now due to conversion rates, currency exchange rates, your revenues go down. And as you can see, it also can reduce your earnings per share. And so a strong dollar has been a headwind for multinational companies. That's why this week, what was interesting is the dollar came down and it's at levels we haven't seen all the way back to, get ready, August of this year. And so the dollar is still high relative to where it's been historically, uh, although it is off the lows and, and the dollar index is, has been coming down a little bit. So as an equity investor, sometimes you don't watch currencies, you don't watch the dollar, but I think you should. And I think you should go back, if you can, and go look at Microsoft's Q1. It's a little bit wonky because they're, 
Q3 of this calendar year is actually Microsoft's Q1 of 23. Companies don't have to necessarily have a Q1 as January, February, March. They can start their quarters, you know, their fiscal year anytime they want. Apple, I think, ends their fiscal year with the third quarter. That's their Q4. Well, Microsoft's Q3 is their Q1 of 23. Okay, let that sink in for a second. And if you're sitting and you're thinking, all right, I'm driving in the car right now. I don't have a notepad. And please don't write while you're driving. And you're doing a lot of numbers. Just the, just the thing you have to remember is a strong dollar is not necessarily good for U.S. companies. It makes exports more expensive. And when you sell things overseas, when you convert it back to U.S. dollars, you're getting less revenue, all else equal. Of course, if the dollar gets twice as strong, but your revenue grows twice as much, you'll have the same revenue as you had prior. But any rescission in the dollar's strength uh, can potentially help those U.S. companies. All right. So that's kind of what I wanted to go through there. Finally, one of the things that's really important for currencies is interest rates. And of course, the U.S. Federal Reserve has been raising rates. They've been raising them at a accentuated pace compared to places like Europe and who has been a little bit slower. Now, even though we have the lower than expected inflation print, it was still uh, year over year and month over month, uh, inflation did increase. The Fed Fund's probabilities, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well, from the CME, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, they still have their highest probability that rates will go to right around 5%. And that's March through, let's say, September. Uh, that's sort of the, the central tendency or the, or the highest probability of where they'll be. There's a pretty good probability to go five to five and a quarter as well. And so this still matters with regards to the U.S. dollar. Uh, the idea of if you're raising rates and if you're raising greater than the currencies that you're being matched up against, then typically your your currency will be a little bit stronger. So uh, these, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. You can continue to watch these uh, after Thursday, which is when the CPI print came out. There was a lot of talk and a lot of people said, well, inflation's done and the Fed is going to have to, you know, they'll stop raising rates. And so when you look at the effective Fed funds rate, the effective Fed funds rate is really what, what it's trading at in the market. And it's a function of, uh, I, you know, I won't get into the, the minutia of it, but it's sort of a function of the market, um, some of the other rates. It's about 3.83% right now. So at this point, and the target range is 3.75 to 4. That's what the federal, federal, funds, federal funds rate, yes, by the Federal Reserve is set at right now. And so based upon the Fed funds futures, they have another 100 basis points of tightening, maybe 125 basis points of tightening, according to the Fed funds futures. Those will change depending upon views in the markets. And I'll remind people that a year ago, uh, the Fed funds, the terminal rate, meaning the, the highest that they, the Fed funds futures were pricing rates to get to were probably 275 to, to 3%. So those change over time. Uh, but even though we had that inflation print, the federal funds rate did not change 
that much, at least on the probabilities based upon the futures. And of course, going to link to that in the show notes. Um, so that's that's kind of what uh, what we're looking at there. All right. By the way, if if you want topics covered, uh, do send me an email, Derek.moore at zegafinancial.com, D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z's and Zebra, E is an Eddie, G is in George, A is an Apple. Financials up to you to spell correctly dot com. Uh, a lot of these episodes are either from questions I get during the week or from emails from listeners as well. And so we'll call it there for this week. Uh, by all means, keep sending emails, keep listening. And by the way, do me a favor. Go ahead and share this episode or share any episodes with someone you think might be interested. Um, rather than waiting, you know, wasting time starring, reviewing, and doing all that stuff, just share it. Take the link, send it to a few of your friends, or if people aren't friends, maybe they'll become friends. And uh, we'd appreciate that as well. Uh, that's it for this week. And we will talk to you all again soon. Take care.